Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Coded Switch. I am your co-host, Dr. G in the U.S. And I'm joined by the one and only Tool to the Psychologist in Melbourne, Australia. Today we are going to get into, I feel like we need a drum roll, da-da-da-da, imposter <laughs> syndrome. So join us as we go on this three-part journey, um, look, getting into sort of what it even, what it, imposter syndrome is, where we think it, where we think it might stem from or come from. And the, the $64 million question, does it ever go away? Welcome to the Coded Switch podcast, a deep discussion about the experience of intersectionality and vulnerability as it relates to wellness, hosted by Dr. Galanega Machisa and told to the psychologist. Yeah, 100%. Well, this is the thing, imposter syndrome, what is it? Um feeling like an imposter, really. I think, look, there's so many ways that you can define, you know, imposter syndrome, but I think for the purposes of our conversation and discussion that we're having, imposter syndrome is essentially, it's, it's a notion or an idea where individuals start doubting their accomplishments, where you sort of have this fear of being exposed as a fraud, that you're not good enough. And that's basically what the imposter syndrome is. It doesn't really matter what your qualifications are or how great you are. That's not what it is. It is about the fear of not being good enough, the fear of being exposed, the fear of everyone's going to find out you're not really as good as you say you are or people think you are. And that fear is huge. It's, you know, it's usually fueled by, you know, a lot of things like perfectionism and self-doubt and whatnot, but it's definitely related to a lot of things professionally for a lot of people. Absolutely. And you said that the fear is huge. I just want to add another description. It is real. It is real. It is gripping. It is, you know, consuming all of the, the sort of adjectives that what could describe it. Um, and I just want to maybe take it one step further where I think we, we were talking about it in the pr- professional capacity here, but it really can be in any in any role. Like y- you can yeah. often doubt it as a parent, right, especially as a mother. Like, uh, am I, you know, do, do I really know what I'm doing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, yeah. uh, am I me- measuring up in, in whatever way? Um, in, in many different aspects of, of experience. But mm-hmm. I think what we're going to do is focus in on how it's, it, it impacts um, the, the sort of the, the professional aspect and not necessarily, um, you know, pro- the, only those holding professional titles, but even just in, in the roles that we do outside of our personal roles, uh, personal experiences. Mm-hmm. So Man, that was a perfect definition. That is exactly what it is. You can almost mm. you say the the term and you can guess what it it's it's self descriptive almostly. We almost uh, we know what Im- an imposter is by and large. It's someone who is faking it right uh, until they make it. Hopefully, but it's yeah. the the syndrome is the is exactly what you described. The fear of somehow being exposed as. Um, so no, you you sure don't know as much as what you're coming off as uh, or projecting. Um, mm. Yeah, so <laughs> let's just talk about. I, like I said off camera, I'm really interested in your insight as a psychologist. Where does this? I mean, we're talking about it in the professional capacity, but it it does it, it does extend into other experiences and, and aspects of life. How is it that? so many people can be living this shared experience. What is it about our psychology, our psyche that lends itself to this way of thinking? What, what's going on? Explain me. 
Oh, where do I begin? Okay, so first I might say your screen's shaking, just so that you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> um, I don't think I'm the oracle for imposter syndrome, but I, in the role of the work that I do, I experience uh, working with people a lot. I experience it myself sometimes, not a lot. But there are times where I feel like, am I really the right person? Um, And it's a combination of factors, really. Uh, Sometimes it's, you know, perfectionism, self-doubt, lack of self-compassion, the environment you're in. I have a question to what you just said. When you question, am I the right person? are Are you asking yourself that contextually, like, am I the right person for this client? Or am I, do I know what I'm doing? Kind of like the bigger... Yeah. Or maybe both. I don't know. It's yeah, it's really both. And so different people get affected in different ways, but it's this idea of, am I really good enough? Um, Mm. whether it's for that person, whether it's in general, and it's not even whether you're good enough, it's being found out. I think that's what it is Mm. being called up. And so often you find this happens for a lot of people during transitions, they start a new role, they get into a new relationship. Would Mm -hmm. they really love me if they knew who I really was? Would they Mm -hmm. come to me and ask for professional help if they knew that I really only have one year of experience? And again, that stuff is our personalized take on why we think we're not up for the role. That comes from perfectionism. That comes from self-doubt. That comes from a lack of compassion for self on the journey that Mm. you are. And these are Mm -hmm. extraordinarily painful things. You know, when you set Mm. excessively high standards for yourself, um, Mm -hmm. and I'll give you a basic example. If you're talking about schooling, oh my God, am I really like, am I a good physician? Mm -hmm. Well, you were really a bad physician. Your university would not let you have passed. They say P's mm-hmm. get you the degree, passes get you the degree, but the standard for passing is such that you're actually able to do your job. Do you necessarily right. have the experience? Probably not. And so people start doing this thing where they, and I see it in my room all the time, and I've worked with a lot of you know professionals in their career as they transition into leadership roles, and they say things like, I'm just going to fake it till I make it, fake it till I make it. And you know, I think sometimes it can be really, really problematic when you do that. I prefer to face it till you make it. I think that's mm-hmm. a, probably a more realistic yeah. way because when you face something, you're actually encompassing what it is. You're not putting right. on a facade for yourself. And for some people, they feel like it's too dangerous to talk about right. what they don't know mm-hmm. or how scared they really are. There's right. a space for you to vent that. You can go and talk to someone that you trust, someone like a mentor, someone, and say, this is what I'm feeling and get a bit yeah. of a reaction check they might be like you're right you're out of your debt maybe you shouldn't more often than not people be like you're fine you know what is it that you're actually fearful of is you know making a mistake perhaps so when I experience professionals particularly women who come to me with imposter syndrome I usually ask them this question I do an activity on a whiteboard and I say Mm -hmm. to them tell me the reasons why you were hired for this job Mm-hmm. Tell me, what was the reason they hired yeah. you? There were a lot of other people, a whole panel of people sat down, interviewed left, right and centre, and they decided you were the right person for the job. What do you think might have influenced their decision? And we start writing a whole list of reasons of why they may have been invited for that role. Mm-hmm. Even if they didn't, it was the first time they're being a manager or they haven't had experience in that particular department. And mm-hmm. then after that, I say, well, then why don't you do what, go and do what you were invited to do? Just right. do what you want right. to do and that's it. Don't worry about yeah. the rest of it. And, you know, and I guess in some yeah. ways it is a little simplistic, but it's also just driving straight into the idea of you have something to offer, even yeah. if you think you don't. 
Absolutely, 100%. I think, you know, to, as you were speaking, it, it sort of uh, crystallized for me and that, that, what, that, tor- that term that we so often hear where it's very familiarized as far as, you know, the, the faking it till you make it piece. Mm-hmm. I, I think that what most people would agree and what they experience in the, and what we maybe, what we mean when we're talking like that, what we're faking, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak, is not as, you know, to a degree, I, you know, we know we, we have the knowledge and the understanding and, you know, we have the qualification. Mm-hmm. What we're faking is the confidence, right? I mm-hmm. think that's what people get at is like the confidence to know that you are qualified and you have what it mm-hmm. takes. And, and of course, confidence, it takes time. If we're going to be real, yeah. confidence is predicated on experience, which experience by definition requires time. Mm. <laughs> you, know, you can't yeah. like, yeah. you know, so the, the fa- and not that it's right. I don't think that faking that I think still facing, um, and maybe even going deeper to, and we can talk about this too. Like, why would somebody need to, why would somebody feel like they need to fake confidence? What is that about? Mm-hmm. Like, what is mm-hmm. it about? You know, I, I think, um, it gets at something deeper in that it, there is no space to say, uh, I don't know. Yep. Right. Like, but I'll yep. find out, you know, but, yep. but I'll learn about it. Right. There, mm-hmm. especially yep. I know in the role of a physician. Yeah. I'm, I, I've, it's something that you have to learn. And it, it, the only way to sort of bridge it is when you think of the potential yep. fallouts that could happen if you, if you do fake knowing, yep. right. If you do fake knowing there are some serious implications that can happen. So if you, bring that to the forefront of your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though it might be uncomfortable to say, I don't know the mm-hmm. alternative is not something that you want to experience. And so, mm-hmm. um, I, it's something that I had to learn in, and, you know, mm-hmm. becoming more comfortable with saying to, you know, to a patient, um, or to a colleague, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, no, I haven't heard about that. Mm-hmm. I haven't, you know, as opposed to say, just doing a bold foss and say, you know, like, yeah, of mm. course, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so. I, think, I think when it comes to faking it till you make it, like, I mean, it comes back to self-esteem, really, that confidence in the relationship between that and self-esteem. So sometimes oh, yes. we do fake it, you know, um, <clears throat> we adopt those types of behaviors as a protective mechanism. But when mm-hmm. you start adopting that frequently, it becomes maladaptive. And that's where it yes. becomes problematic Certainly. when you're constantly Certainly. trying to protect yourself, constantly trying to, I guess, you know, create a bit of a facade there. And look, there yeah. is some room for making, for faking it. Um, but to what extent and what are people losing out? And it comes back to this culture. Sometimes it's community driven, like uh, in the healthcare industry, I think it's changing a little bit now, but the aviation industry is an interesting one to look at when you look at, um, you know, imposter syndrome. So, they have an attitude towards incident management and things going wrong as it is part of the way. There is an expectation you have to dog yourself in. You get in trouble if you don't report your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's a, they try and really embed that culture of learning because, you know, so many people's lives are at risk when you just mm-hmm. you know, overlook something. Interestingly, in the healthcare profession, we are also still responsible for hundreds of lives, but people die in accidents happen in like trickles or in litigations here and there. It's not like 400 people dying at once, you know, if that yeah. makes sense. That's right. So Absolutely I think does, yeah. that culture of, you know, um, not allowing for mistakes and, and we're not equipped with that more often than not in our, when your culture doesn't allow for those mistakes, we don't have that language around 
I'll yeah. get back to you. I'll have to think about that. Not feeling obliged mm-hmm. to respond in the moment, you know, being able right. to sit with uncertainty. And again, it comes back to, and different psychologists might look at it different ways, but I think when mm-hmm. it comes to that maladaptive, like when you feel like you're a fraud, the first mm-hmm. thing we need to do is check the evidence. Why are yeah. you being invited can, to this particular role? Yeah. Yes, yes, certainly. What are can, the, can we talk to... Know, yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off and move no, on, but um, I just wanted to ask about um, sort of, it, I guess, why why don't we have that space for, for each other? Like, why don't we have the space to, and it gets to deeper things, right? Like, because it exposes potential weakness or uh, the, the, other, the other side of it that I think is important to explore here is that, you know, everyone can't just be making it up, like have this fear based in non-realities right there are yeah. real decisions and and you know attitudes and perceptions that are made based on these you know like whether or not you appear to know it how confident you come off how there are real world you know occurrences um mm-hmm. and so I, I think how do we how do we speak to that side of things where it's like yeah there there you could miss out on something if you if you don't have the answer, like if you BS the answer, you don't BS the answer and just, you know, say, I don't know, like you could be seen as a, you know, as a weaker candidate if you're up for a job, right? Like, how do we speak to that part of things? Because there, there's reality there too. Yeah, um, there is 100%. And I think it's, you know, more often than not in particularly uh, in a lot of like Western society, when I say Western, like I think about like Australia, UK, mm-hmm. and I look at some Eastern countries where sometimes it's not necessarily um, the knowledge you have, the title is enough to get you through. And I think yeah. here, like in Australia, your title will get you through the door, but it won't bring you mm-hmm. longevity. What will matter mm-hmm. is how you relate to other people. And right. and how you relate to other people really is a reflection of how you see yourself. And right. so the Certainly. importance of working on yourself and having that language, being accepting of who you are and having the language to articulate that with others, to invite mm-hmm. people in. I can give you an example of someone that I was interviewing for a role recently. Um, yeah. And the mistake, and I promise I didn't do this on purpose, it happened twice. My Zoom logged out. And so the first candidate freaked out, became really defensive, um, waited online until I got back and I was apologizing. Thank you for being patient. I'm I'm, I'm so sorry about this error. Like, I just don't know how it happened. She's like, well, I was waiting here. I didn't do anything. And she just kind of went on this hole and I just thought, whoa, 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 okay, okay. Like, I didn't think anything of it. Same thing happened with another candidate. And I was freaking out. So I was like trying to find her email on her CV to call her and say, you know, it's just a technical issue. Lo and behold, by the time I logged into my email, she'd already emailed me saying, hi, just noticed that you've logged out of the meeting. I just want to let you know I'm still here. If you have any technical issues, I'm happy to wait for the rest of the time. I hope to hear from you soon. And so you've got two very different responses to basically the same situation. And so sometimes when we're experiencing that imposter syndrome, like I'm a fraud, we need to work with the assumption that there is a way out. How are we going to explain this when you invite people in? Sometimes the way you express that not knowing can gain respect for you, can actually show Mm -hmm. how much knowledge you have, the fact that you're not answering because you Mm -hmm. want to make sure the other person's received the right answer. Now, if you're put on the spot and you don't know it, it just means you might not know it and you might need to sort of build on that experience. We need to 
you know, share how you're feeling about it. You say, well, that's an interesting question that I've never considered before. I might need a minute to think about that. It right, might be right. saying, you know, I've never considered it, but now that you've mentioned it, this is how I might approach it, even though I didn't know the answer. I'm curious yeah. to know why is that important? You might put it back on them and be like, you know, why is this question really important to you? Mm-hmm. And then because if it's a Perhaps physical... relate to the role that I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, you know yeah. why it's important to them. But if it's like, yeah. well, what's your, you know... What's the next step you think you should take? Well, like, I'm interested to know what, you know, what's important to you. Well, I want to know that you know the right way. I want to know you've got the right resources. Then you can sort of reframe accordingly. So I think sometimes when we get into that whole self-doubt, we really start to bring things to ourselves, like really individualize it. So lack of your own ability, you're questioning your own competency, that negative self-talk, that past experiences of, you know, um, what do you call it, past experiences of like failure or rejection. Sometimes that internalized belief of worthlessness of like, I need to do this to avoid conflict, to avoid criticism. I want to expand on this because that's where I wanted to go next. And you're you're building a beautiful transition to this. (laughs) How does the minority experience or the... um, yeah, the minority experience in, or, or the disenfranchised experience that someone might have, how does that sort of set you up for, you know, to not, to, to be more liable to think as an imposter, you know, that or have imposter syndrome? Uh, yeah, let's go. You, there. Can't, you, can't, you can't be what you don't see. Yeah. So, you know, people talk about, you know, not having enough people of color or not having enough women in certain areas. That doesn't mean they don't belong there. And that's the responsibility as a collective, you know, uh, you know, with people who have the power to not just give you a seat at the table, but allow you to be involved in the decision making at the table. There's so mm. many tokenistic sort of positions and people say, oh, I was just invited as a token um as a token person, and I I feel very strongly about this. Here's what I have to say to people who say, well, you were just invited because you were the token female or you're the token Mm -hmm. black person. The reality is we're all at the same start line to go towards a destination, whether it's a job or whatever it is. There are people who have many, many more obstacles in their way. I saw this really funny cartoon. Maybe we should put it up, but it's everyone racing and men just sort of with a straight like line ahead of them to run and then women were to run but instead of hurdles they had washing laundry dishes so on and so the idea is that you know giving people an opportunity doesn't necessarily mean putting them ahead it means removing the obstacles so people can see them too and sometimes something in something as simple as your name so like that's right your name will be that block where they just cannot see anything anymore uh, yeah, sometimes yeah. your gender and so you might think oh well i'm not worthy enough no there are people who have unconscious bias who are not aware of what Certainly. you have to offer and they've put Certainly. all of these barriers in front of you and you're sitting here internalizing thinking well this is just me to the point yeah. that even once you've made it through all of those hurdles and you've made it to the end you're exhausted by the end of it that's right and yeah i think you're exhausted Absolutely. I think it gets, it speaks to, uh, to take it one step further, it speaks to a really important point here. And that I think part of what happens in the, with the minority experience is that when, when a circumstance happens, let's say you're up for, uh, you know, a job or up for a promotion, somebody gets chosen over you. There are the facts that perhaps the other person was more qualified for the job, for the promotion, for whatever it might be. But what happens in the mind of someone who is in the minority in whatever capacity is that thought that is it because 
right? Like that, that thought is there that, is it possible mm -hmm. that it's because like, was that what set us apart? Like, is everything else equal? Cause of course you'll never, unless you have a debriefing with the other person and they're open and to, you know, to mm. share with it's you, right? Like, so it, you're, you're left at least with that wonder somewhere in lurking in the bowels of your, you know, your subconscious thoughts of, is it because of that? Is it because, was that, what's that, you know, what made me less optimal or less desired or right. And so carrying that throughout all of your experiences, absolutely. Well, it's, it's a and not just that, to, but yeah. it comes back to what you were talking about. That thought is it comes back to your thoughts as it comes from your mindset. Right. And so I think mm -hmm. it was Tony Robbins who was saying your mindset will either drive you or destroy you. So, yeah. and that's, yeah. you know, yes, there are some parts of it that's, you know, without, uh, you know, without um, ignoring or avoiding, you know, structural discrimination or systemic, you know, discrimination and racism. Sure, that mm -hmm. exists. But mm -hmm. also there are people within that who seem to make it much better than others because the mindset and our set of beliefs mm -hmm. have a lot to do with that. And I often talk about, yeah. we talk about people's beliefs and how they influence our mindset. And so I have, you know, the opinion as, you know, many other psychologists that people only have three beliefs in their life, only three. Okay. Um, what are they? And it doesn't, yeah, they do. It doesn't matter what your faith background or whatever it is. It's all the same. Yeah. So people yeah. have beliefs about themselves. They have okay. beliefs about others and they have beliefs about the world. Okay. And that's it. So everything kind of falls into that. So you think about where do these, where do we start having these beliefs from? Right. They usually start from childhood. From mm -hmm. our caregivers, they're the Certainly. people who usually influence our sense of self and who we are. Um, and then you know, and it builds as you go along. So from your parents, and then your family, your siblings, your school, your teacher, your job, your colleagues, um, media, TV, movies, news—like mm -hmm. you can just keep expanding. But these start to give you some ideas, and a good one. And, and often they talk, people talk to the maladaptive ones. They're usually the ones yeah. that are the sticklers that cause problems, you know, in our life, which are all manageable. They're all, you, we can deal with them and choose to change them as well with the right help and resources. And we don't do that. We usually yeah. just have that mindset. Sometimes that ends up destroying us. I am not good enough. Right. And so, yeah, I guess as a psychologist, there's lots of, you know, strategies that I'd work through. This is a podcast. It's not a therapy session, but yeah, I think, isn't it? I think we do like we can talk about general stuff that I definitely canvas in therapy, but the difference is therapy is yeah. very personalized. So the examples I'll use will be based on your life. So, you know, right. when you say, how do you get over imposter syndrome? You know, very good. The first thing I'll do is, you know, focus on the facts. So there are activities mm -hmm. we do to focus on the facts. Let's focus on why you were invited into this position into the first place. Tell us yeah. about what happened. What do we know? What we don't know. Um, when that anxiety kicks in, you know, people are like, oh my God, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. Let's focus on what you want. Let's talk, right. let's right. sort of move you to a place of certainty. So what is it that you're looking for? from this conversation. I'm looking for clarity. I want peace. All right. Well, start off your conversation like that. I'm looking for clarity. Tell people what you want because you're more likely to get there than to sort of say, well, I don't want this and I don't want this. And people don't really know what you want anymore. Like yeah, yeah. we need to acknowledge the fact that this is happening for you and, you know, give the chance to reframe that. And sometimes yeah. when you're by yourself, and when you're doing it over and over again from the beginning of your life and you've been yeah. taught that this is what your value is and you have, you can't even accept your own yeah. limitations. Yeah. 
you feel disappointed, right. you feel failure, you haven't right. met your own high standards. No wonder That's you're right. failing in it, but no wonder why you're doubting is there yourself. Any, is there any greater pain than that, than missing the mark with your own standards, right? Like that's, oof, that hurts. When you yeah. can externalize it and, you know, because it, it's, it still hurts, but it, it's easier to sort of, you know, you can come up with yeah. a whole other, all other explanations, but when it's your, when they're your own and, and you don't necessarily, you know, maybe fall short to, to uh, if that doesn't sound yeah. dramatic, um, it, it's a lot harder to, to uh, wrestle with. But no, well, I think that when you have yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and there is so you spoke about the, you know, childhood experiences and primary characters are obviously that is the foundation the foundation of of sort of how an individual will begin, will begin to understand themselves and how uh, where to see themselves in the world. But of course, you know, society like formal education. When you right, I, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. You know, there's a huge debate in in the United States about. Um, the teaching of, of, you know, critical race theory. I don't know if you're aware of that debate here yeah. and there are people on both sides of, you know, it, it's important. It's certainly important to understand how, uh, you know, sort of systems of thinking have mm. informed so like the, the structure of society. Yeah, mm. that's very important. And the, and the ramifications that exist to this day. Mm. The other, I, you know, I can, I can see the other side as well. Like I, I you mm. know, I mean, it's not that, I still know that it's it's more important than not, but I can see the other side of it. And you know, I, I have a I have a son, and you know, he 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 is a person of color, and will experience have that experience growing up in America, especially as a male. Um, mm -hmm. Is it helpful for him to know that you know how yeah. like how is that going to make him start to look at himself? I know what it, how it made me look at myself, right? And 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 mm -hmm. I didn't. You know, as as a child of immigrants, I didn't have that shared, um, you know, that that uh, ancestral experience where uh, that black Americans have in this country that, you know, they can trace their lineage back to people who were born on plantations and experienced enslavement. Um, and sort of that's where, you know, the the, the crux of, of critical race theory gets to it. Obviously, it expands from there. And, you know, the, yeah. the Reconstruction era laws, Jim Crow, et cetera. Um, but you know, even without having that that ancestral identity, I still very much so em, em, uh, embraced and internalized what it meant to be black in America, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, what you see in how I'm treated, you know, especially when you look yeah. a certain way, is as a black woman in America. So you, you can't really, you can't get away. So uh, the reason I'm saying this is I know how it informed me and in my thinking. And mm. of course, as a parent, you want to do everything to protect your children, obviously mm. not at the expense of living Harming in reality them. and being informed. Right. Um, yeah. but just wondering like, you know, or maybe it requires a deeper discussion and more explanation of, Right. And that's probably what it does come down to is, is needing to, yeah. to parse out the details of things and and what it means for a person of color growing up today in America and how you should see yourself. And right. So um, the, these social experience, these societal, I should say, societal experiences, collective experiences that we've all lived together, they have informed. You know, it's it, there's always the debate about you know, systemic forms of inequality. And it's mm. really hard to prove that when you're talking, right? Because by and large, yeah. by and large, you know, 
there's still some questionable laws that exist in the in this in this country anyway. But by Only and large, some? that <laughs> that are actually written in law. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting to. Like that are actually written out where you can say, "Yep, it's systematized. It is in there." But how do you account for? thought patterns and beliefs that are transferred through generations and, you know, mm. like biases, right? That's, that's mm. hard to prove. You can't, because you could always argue that like, it's just preference. It's just mm. personal right. preference, right? Like yeah. it, it gets at a lot. And so when someone is experiencing all these subtleties yeah. that do put you in a disadvantaged position, at least maybe to your own perception, mm it's going to inform how you think of yourself and how you match up against your, your, you know, your equals. Yes. Um, yes. But anyway, that's, yeah. So <laughs> that's, I think and we can even do a podcast on the whole, you know, intergenerational trauma and the nature versus yeah. nature debate. I, I think we should, yeah. you know, I've worked with mm -hmm. men who perpetrate family violence on their intimate partners. And, you know, some of them will say things like, well, it's in my DNA. We're just very angry people. Like people from this part of the world are just very angry. And so, so how do you challenge the idea of, well, this is just how we are, as opposed yeah. to, no, you actually have some agency. How can we change that? Nature versus even, nurture. Yeah. And even if you've had that experience over and over again, I think, though, the other thing, like you haven't said, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the other thing that mm -hmm. seems to be coming up for me is mm -hmm. the idea of people looking for solutions for, like, say, imposter syndrome. There's all this mm -hmm. stuff happening in society. What do we do? And I think... Mm -hmm. I think as psychologists, what we have to offer to the table for people that experience imposter syndrome is case formulation. And so oh. what we do is rather than being, say, a coach and saying, well, if you want to get rid of imposter syndrome first, you have to learn the facts. You have to share your feelings. You, you should be celebrating your successes. These are like a formula for what people may want to do if they want to go from their baseline and just sort of reach this pinnacle level of sorts. Whereas mm -hmm. what psychologists will do is work with people who feel like, hey, I'm not even at the baseline. I feel like I've come down here. What is it that's brought me down and how can I get back up to this level before taking on all of those formulas? And so it's quite personalized. And I think that's something in our training that we're trained to do. Why is this person having this problem at this particular time and how can they get out of that? So it's not about pulling, you know, I've got my DSM here, you know, tick, 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 you've got all of these things. It's why is this happening for you? What's your presenting problem? What is perpetuating these issues? You know, you know, Context. what are your There it is again. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's something that we're trained to do as psychologists and that we bring to the table, particularly for imposter syndrome. So when I work with people, I don't sit here and be like, oh, imposter syndrome, here's how you deal with it. We're going to start with you. Like, where is the problem for you? How does it mm -hmm. manifest? How does it keep showing up again and again and again as, you know, as a maladaptive trauma, maybe? And even the word trauma, I mean, it's so overused on social media, but how it mm -hmm. shows up is something we can work with. Psychologists can definitely help by formulating individual, you know, individual formulations for people to help you figure out why you're having this particular problem now and how to get, a, at, and how to get out of it. I, I don't think social media offers that to anyone. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I think that's a great place to sort of end things for this episode. I mean, beautiful, beautiful breakdown. I feel like it, this was your interview and I'm so glad that I, yeah. you know, that we did this and so, you know, to pick your brain about, about these topics, because yeah. there's just so much insight there. So 
Thank you all for joining us on another episode of the Coded Switch uh, podcast. We are going to, as we said at the beginning, this is, you know, part one of three and maybe might need to be part one of five. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, we'll but you know, well, next uh, episode, we're going to get sort of into the experiences that that we've had, which we sort of touched on um, here and there, but maybe into more specifics of the experiences of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, on episode six, I guess that will be. So please join us for that episode. And until then, I am your co-host, Dr. G. And we'll see you next time.